work for me. What's going on? Oh, sorry for that feedback. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of Big Digital Energy. Colin, how's the prostate? (laughs) (laughs) Already going for the jugular. That is so funny. I love that. I love uh, that shit. We're over the prostate jokes, but no, every time you miss, dude, it's (laughs) prostate. Colin's out with prostate. We got a full house today. We got Martin Myers, Kurt Coburn, Chuck Yates, and myself, Frag Slat, Chuck. What do we have going right. on this week? I know Nat Gas is a big topic. What's so going on? We always talk about oil. So let's talk Nat Gas this time. Let me throw just some facts into evidence. You look at the 12 month strip over the last six months, it's down almost 40%, down 42% the last month. So that's really been a last month phenomenon. Today, it's down almost six or 7% uh, with us going big drop, driven by warmer weather. Natural gas, 365. Um, Just some other facts that are kind of out there. Uh, One of the banks went to all their companies in coverage that were natural gas drillers and said, hey, what gives with prices down? It appears like CapEx is stable, but it's definitely on the watch list. We may start pulling rigs on uh, natural gas. And so, you know, I guess the question I would throw to the group is kind of like me after the Poncho's Mexican buffet. We got too much gas. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, there. I totally went there. I mean, Poncho's amazing reference. How good is Poncho's? Is Poncho's even around anymore? There's, they still kept the sign on 45, though. And every time I salute it, <laughs> I'm like, one day I'll go back. You remember the flag? Raise, raise the yeah, flag. The flag. Yeah, raise, raise the flag. The flag. Yeah. So we're raising the flag on, on gas. <laughs> Uh, Mark, I think that you should probably dive into this one. I want to hear the technical person's opinion. Well, we, we had a period in the two thousands where we thought we'd never grow gas again. And after we surprised ourselves, I think as Aubrey said at IPAA back in 2012, we did too good of a job and we're going to do the same thing in oil. Um, we always used to say that, Oil is hard. Gas is easy. Once we discovered what Mm -hmm. we could do unconventional, I think there's plenty of gas potential there. The price signals allow us to flex up and flex down. You know, if, if the gas weighted producers are going to continue to, to play the discipline um, capital returns game, I think we're going to have to see some, some pullback as this price softness continues, particularly in the face of inflation. But there's so plenty, do you there's think pullbacks on CapEx as well, or what, what do you... Well, that was interesting. We were talking about it uh, before mm-hmm. the show about, okay, what, is, what does the feedback mean? They're not going to change mm-hmm. spending heading into this. Does that mean they're going to not keep pace with an inflation that we all know is out there? Don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, the, I, I tweeted this out about three months ago. I had lunch with a buddy in Oilfield, and we'd all heard about Oilfield inflation. I was really shocked by it. I mean, the guy was talking about, you know, a little inverter that we paid two fifty for. We had to pay $5,000 yeah. Yeah. for for. Yeah, we typically and, talk about things like casing and, you know, personnel costs and things like that. But you start hearing some of these guys talking about, you know, just little valves or sensors and they're 100x in price. That's yeah, it's so what's, dri- it's what, what's driving that? You know, you you hear kind of the generic supply chain. I think it's it's supply chain. Well, and you also hear the minus thirty seven, and we just laid everything down. You know, and so we just stopped. And to bring the European perspective in, I mean, you have the you know the Russian Ukraine war, which which definitely suppressed uh, and increased gas prices, but suppressed them. Um, 
uh, availability of gas. Um, you've got Europe last year that have imported more LNG than anyone else, which is usually not the case. And Japan's been a huge importer. China's been a huge importer. They're importing gas, but now you sort of have this sort of warm weather. Gas prices are low in Europe as well. The question is these factories that, you know, in order to jumpstart demand and start building, are, I, I've read a few articles that kind of say, they're sort of hesitating going, what's going to happen? Our gas price is going to stay low so we can actually start really ramping up. It hasn't hit consumers yet on the price stack. Um, so yeah, I think so, globally so, we're seeing a real interesting, like is this a sort of a Chinese or a Mexican standoff? So do you think is factories start powering up? Right. Let's go. Yeah, let's, let's get it right. Factories start powering up and coming back online. <clears throat> you know, nat gas prices are down. What did you say, 375? Um you think that their marginal cost, they're like, okay, when you start kicking on and as they start kicking on prices come back up. I mean, do you think that that plays, plays a part? Cause like, I don't know, like people talk about supply chain issues. Like what does that actually mean? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I can go ahead Mark. I think an OFS for, you know, critical path equipment and uh, well construction, for example, you, you've got, from what I can tell anecdotally, you've got a real, lagging new build cycle among things like the pressure pumpers. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's certainly there. I'm, I'm dabbling a little bit in, in deep water because I believe that's, that's coming longer on the horizon, but there, there aren't big headlines printing about, about uh, providers doing uh, big new build programs. Yeah. And so, so we're, we're, we're several years into this and you know, what, what's the, kind of what's the baseline or what's the baseload capacity? So supply chain issues, I mean, you know, they're not specific to just oil and gas energy materials, right? You see this throughout all different industries. And so I'm curious if um, high net gas prices, high oil prices have led to any recession in manufacturing. And then if we start seeing factories start picking up, actually making shit again all mm. around the world, the commodity prices start rising again. Well, it's interesting because I don't want to divert us here yet, but maybe it kind of goes there. Goldman came out this week and took a European 2023 recession off the table. They said uh, they're predicting, I think it's 0.6% growth for Europe for the year of 2023 which isn't a lot, but it's it's not negative. And we've been sitting around here, all four of us, for the last six months talking about maybe even double-digit type recession in Europe, just how they've... Because sh- every day on... Or every time we do BDE, we talk about a fertilizer plant that shut down, a glass manu- a, you know, mm-hmm. manufacturer that shut down. We talked about Germany almost coming to a standstill economically because of it. And so... Yeah, but but let's make sure that what Goldman's stating is that the baseline is still COVID 2020, 2021. So what is, if it's flat, that's not a, a huge gain. Well, that also, but, leads, it, but it's still leads, a Delta from what we were thinking three to four months I, ago. I, I don't know what the, the commentary said or what the context is around it, but it feels like the adjustment is we were hurtling into winter worried about just massive spikes in energy prices. And because of, primarily the the all-out storage build in, in coal and natural gas in places like mm-hmm. Germany and the, the fortunate um, 
coincidence of really warm weather, you know, maybe that outlook has already trickled down into manufacturing and there's, they're, they're getting more positive feedback from broader base manufacturing yeah. activity. As, so is as global warming out. actually saving, saving the saving day? <laughs> Hold on. I just want real quick. Global warming is, is day to day is what you're saying. But you but, know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the uh, Henry hub uh, chart and it's really wild. Just looking at the volatility here and seeing, uh, you know, over the last month, this drop is just, insane you know going from you know seven dollars to 375 i think it's also fair to understand that we're kind of going through unprecedented times here i was thinking about this yesterday like you know i want to be 80 years old someday telling my great grandkids about 2020 and it's just going to sound like a fever dream like (laughs) you know like yeah we're all locked down in our houses and there's blm riots and GameStop, and like it doesn't like fit reality, right? And then coming it's out that of this meme where the old lady's walking and back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And anyways, you gotta imagine the bullwhip effects coming out of COVID lockdowns. I mean, this is probably something that we're gonna be dealing with for you know the better part of a decade at least until things stabilize a bit. And so do you think this is something that we're gonna see like in commodity prices where it's yo-yoing, you know, we're well, spiking up, coming down. I mean, it's always been cyclical, but I mean, really the, short cycle. The one thing I want to throw, and like Mark and I can talk about this to you two young bucks, because you're talking about you know unprecedented times. I'm a young buck. Natural gas. <laughs> the weather was the only thing that mattered to natural gas for years, dude. I for mean, years. it was like cold winter prices went up, warm winter prices uh, went down. I mean, it was crazy. Like Chesapeake back in the day. Aubrey, when he was, you know, pioneering the shale revolution, I mean, he was paying NASA level scientists to sit there and predict the weather. Yeah. Because it mattered so much. And then we got to the point where natural gas was on every corner. We could frack anything. And I, I think it was, it's kind of lost on the well, quote unquote kids today. That a lot of people matters. like, yeah, a lot of people clown on skilling and Enron for wanting to create weather futures. But back in the day, that seemed to make sense when so much of the trading was based on weather, right? Yeah. And back so, in, well, back in the surge days, I looked at a few uh, weather startups. In fact, one of the entrepreneurs called me, he's like, Hey, remember when you, you know, we turned down your surge money. Um, they exited the company, but I, I thought weather was going to be a huge deal. Yeah. But Chesapeake, I'm, Chesapeake actually had its own meteorologist for a while. Yeah. A lot of the trader houses do too. Here's you my question that? though. I almost feel like we're TCU and the rest of the world is Georgia right now Ouch. and it will go there, but, but we're talking about gas prices and, and look at what's happened. OPEC created OPEC plus during the shale revolution saying, Hey, wait a minute. The U S is about to have this massive pricing power, but look at where we are now. OPEC has about a 60% market share today. Yeah. There's very low elasticity of non OPEC supply and there's low elasticity of global oil demand. So I'm sitting here from, you know, Houston, Texas and undisclosed office location thinking about, we're talking about gas prices in North America, but are we just sort of the TCU of the rest of the world? Like we can't even export it. We, we, we have a lot of, you know, um, uh, uh, strength against sort of producing. I'm just looking at the rest of the world going, there's a big demand for gas. And especially if gas prices are low, that means 
economy is going to boom because people are ready to start pr- creating um, products mm-hmm. and consumers are ready to get out of the house and start buying shit. Yeah. What's happening from that perspective? And I'll do some research on sort of U.S. to the rest of the world, but I think I'm looking at all this gas and we can't just get it. We can't export it fast enough, can we, Mark? What's the no, problem? I, I Look, I think we said it in the energy draft, right? I think the U.S. and North America more broadly U.S. and Canada in particular have the ability to play both offense and defense with the strategic weapon that is the natural gas endowment of the North American yeah. continent. But we've got so many impediments in front of that where we could zoom past Russia in terms of proved gas potential and start pushing out coal from both coasts by exporting LNG. That's a you know kind of a grand pie in the sky strategy. Although I think, you know, I think what, uh, in particular EQT and Toby have been talking about is exactly that, you know, we're, we're, we're coming from a, a place where <clears throat> I forgot who tweeted out the other day. I think it was Max that said, um, energy density is the signal. Everything else is noise. Mm. Right. <clears throat> and that was Max. I think I saw. Yeah. That. So I, I just, we, we got to get all these above ground impediments resolved, many of which are political. Um, we can do it. We can build LNG liquefaction and, and send out facilities and, and ships to move it out. We've got the gas potential underground. I mean, hell, there's 33, 35 TCF of gas in the gas cap at Prudhoe Bay. Well, right? and, and let's not let it be lost on part of this discussion that we're not being just oil and gas homers right now. During the great freeze a couple of weeks ago, we were having days of kind of 35% of the heating done in Massachusetts was done with heating oil. Right. And if you're sitting here telling me that heating oil is better for the environment than a pipeline from pick a state running into Massachusetts. <laughs> it, it blows my mind. One of my buddies lives up in New York. He works for Barstool and he ran out of... Uh, heating oil at his house and he has a newborn baby oh, and uh, he, he's tweeting about it and i was just like it blows my mind that i have friends that live like they're in a third world country where you literally have to call this truck to come out and bring you some oil to be able to heat your heat your house but uh we got a message uh on here oh my computer froze on me um that never happens yeah from John Mink, he said, local labor availability is a key tool, maybe better in Q2. This is something that's been ongoing for, you know, last year or two. I hear about it, but there is a um, interesting article that I saw over the last month. And this isn't oil field specific. This article is from the New York Post. My computer's running like shit right now, so I apologize. But the article was dis- <laughs> disturbing rise of the NILFs. <laughs> Of the who's? NILFs. Oh, Nils. okay. This is a family show. Can you use that in a Collins. sentence? NILFs stands for men not in the labor force. <laughs> Anyways. Can you give come, me the definition? That's yeah. great. Thank you. Yep. So a NILF uh, coming out of COVID-19, uh, men who are in their prime working age uh, between 25, 54 years old, there's 7 million men in that prime working age that are neither working nor looking for work in the United States which is just kind of mind boggling to think about. Like I can't imagine not even looking for work. Like how do you get, how do you live? How do you, how do you get by? I feel attacked. And so (laughs) I think that, 
when you look at the energy industry, whether it's oil and gas, renewables, uh, mining, farming, construction, lack of talent, lack of talent, and so, just lack of available talent and people not wanting to work. I know it's like super cliche to be like, oh, no one wants to work today, but we, you, know, you, you have cycles in society where you, know, you have really hardworking generations. I mean, times are too good. Is when, when That's exactly yeah. only, There's only too much froth in the system. Too much froth. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I just I haven't been able to read the article yet because I uh, Hearts Energy uh, did not renew my free subscription to their stuff. Love you, John, but you didn't renew it. Um, but uh, they they wrote an article called "The Real Shortage Facing the Oil and Gas Industry Is Talent," and we actually mm-hmm. talked uh, talked a lot about it. Wait, are we saying that the great generational crew change is finally hitting? I think this so. is like the twenty year bet that I, never happened, and it's finally hitting. I, 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 t- I talked a lot about it. I don't know what quotes of mine were used in the article, but. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. I've got a deck from 2010, 2015, and probably 2020. Every five, the, I, every five years. I refresh it. The great <laughs> generational crew change. It's a huge reason why to invest now in energy tech. Yeah, every five years it, it comes up and it's a thing. And now we're talking but about it. I think it's actually happening. Um, At some point, everyone has to die. <laughs> so I mean, baby boomers are retiring. They can't work anymore. And, and uh, millennials are just too wealthy. What's up? Or they just don't want to work. Dude, we made too much money on GameStop. That's right. NFTs. <laughs> NFTs, baby. So uh, big news. Saw this come across yesterday that the feds are talking about a federal ban on nat gas stoves in the house. Who wants to take the lead on this? Because I got some. I, got some, I mean, I, got some I have a brand new natural gas stove imported from from France. So that that was bad news when I saw it. But um, I'm kind of interested in this stove now. <laughs> pretty bad news. I just um, buy my shit at Sears. You know, this has been the, the trend of electrification. Um, and it's a big trend. Um, it's We're discussing it around the world is the trend. I mean, in Europe, it's big. Um, here in the U.S., it's big. The challenge is, um, as we've all seen, is there's the natural gas infrastructure is already here. Um, mm. And we don't have enough electricity to power all these natural all yeah, these people the, that want to cook. The, how does the grid handle all of this? Doesn't additional load. So well, did you guys? Um, let me throw this in just real quick. Sally Yates had four boys. She wanted all four boys to get married and give her grandchildren. And to accomplish that, she decided all her boys needed to be really good cooks. And so she <laughs> learned us all how to cook. She would be so patient. We'd make you know mud pancakes, and she'd go, maybe not so much earth next time in the pancakes. You will never convince me that you can cook a decent meal on an electric stove. Chucky, top. I had you my need natural. I okay, had my so smoking let's... jacket on. I rang the doorbell. I knocked, and no one was home. Even though I saw tweets from inside your house, I was over there trying to get a good home cooked meal. What happened, Chuck? You're invited anytime. We're friends on the show, but when the when the show closes, you're I'm dead. To you. So, you know the whole the whole premise is that cooking with natural gas in your home uh, causes air pollution and contaminants. It's unhealthy for you. John Mink said here it's better than cooking with uh, dung, which is absolutely the truth. Now, let's. Uh, I've been having this debate on Twitter for a couple of years now, so I want to talk about this. There's this uh, a lot of my friends on the climate side and um, electrification. There's a lot of tinfoil hat wearing 
against the oil and gas industry. There's this big conspiracy that oil and gas is the one that pushed this narrative for natural gas appliances in the uh, in the homes, and they put out a lot of propaganda so that you have people mm-hmm. like Chuck saying any meal that is cooked on electric stovetops isn't as good as natural gas. Here's my rebuttal to that. One, oil and gas industry is not smart enough to have branding like that. They're not and great marketers. They're not Don't great listen, marketers. all of you that do retail. So you're not great. What's more likely that we have natural, that people prefer natural gas stoves because of oil and gas propaganda, telling them that a natural gas uh, stove is better than electric or a million years of human evolution and our connection to fire and survival fire, fire. And I like people don't understand the subconscious things that we do and our connection to fire. And so I I think that we we would also never jeopardize the, the tried and true oil and gas slogan of reservoir to burner tip. You wouldn't have a burner mm. tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me give you a millennial answer. Um, in the golf industry, you know, what golf clubs do you play? I play what, what does tiger play? What are the, what are the best of the best play? Yeah. Now we're in this foodie generation. What do the great chefs do? They all cook on natural gas. They mm-hmm. talk about it. We see it in their, in their, you know, I mean, it's in our living rooms. We watch it. So I think part of it is we want to be like, the best of the best. Yeah. And that's circling all the way back down to you and me. So there's I think that's a big There's reason. definitely a status thing to it because when you're like I was, your broke kid coming up in apartments, like you got cheap electric stoves. With Can't like even cook coils, bacon, bro. And you're like, man, you know, someday I want a house. And like you think of your kitchen, you got this badass nat gas stove. What's funny is before I got in the oil and gas industry, I sold appliances at Sears when I was 18 years old. Damn, and convection convection stovetops had like really started to come out. And I was pushing them because I thought it was just cool fucking technology. I didn't know anything about energy. I was just like, Dude, look at thing. the big brain on Brad. I was like, this thing can boil water in like 20 seconds. They are it is pretty cool technology. But um the interesting thing I wanted to ask y'all earlier before we got on the show, and y'all stopped me and t- told me to ask you on the show. Did y'all know that there's such thing as natural gas refrigerators? No, blew my mind. I found this out. I did not know. Blew that. my there mind. There were dryers, close. So dryers. yes, yeah. dryers, but there's refrigerators. And so John and I, so John uh, on our team was telling me about this because we we're talking about Bitcoin mining and using natural gas to actually cool the data centers. He's like, yeah, there's such thing as natural gas refrigerators. I learned about them. One of my professors taught me in college. And I was like, what? Went online, looked at it and straight up use natural gas to cool and any of your electronic components are just batteries. And I was super interested because I was like, they are more efficient than electric refrigerators. And so if the thesis that oil and gas is so good at propaganda that they can put natural gas appliances in your house, I was like, why did we ever move from natural gas refrigerators to electric refrigerators? Um, I just thought that was super interesting and fascinating. And we actually, I've got on Craigslist to see if I could find one. And there's one up in uh, Tomball. It's a little mini fridge runs off of nice. that gas and propane. Our guy, our guy John says propane fridges are popular in remote Alaska. Yes, and so that's actually I was watching a guy on YouTube talk about it, and um, it makes perfect sense that remote parts of Alaska. He was saying like places in Africa mm-hmm. um, use them, and so 
seems like they're really popular in places where you don't have electricity distribution. Um, I, but yeah, completely blew my mind because I didn't know that was a, how many people complain about their gas bill versus their electric bill. So just think about putting more, like more things onto, onto your electricity bill. I'm just thinking from a pragmatic perspective, who wants it? If, if you see your, my electric bill just went up, you know, I'm paying an extra three X versus, cheap natural gas well here's the thing i mean if the nat gas or if the electricity is coming from a nat gas peaker plant you know you send that gas to this peaker plant combust you generate electricity then you have uh you have loss and efficiency transmitting mm -hmm. it to wherever it needs to go to and so if we have the infrastructure to distribute nat gas straight to the home we should we should use that i mean I don't, and I honestly need to look at research, see what's out there, but having that gas in the home, especially if you have proper ventilation, I just don't see it as being a major We're, We need problem. to track this because whales are no longer on the endangered list because of the show. Yep. Now we need to start tracking yes. natural gas fired refrigerators because if we see articles about just like this boom hockey stick, it's the show. It's the show right after the Selena or the oh. Salon, uh, Celine Dion. Uh, and we're all of a sudden their hey. top selling product is a net gas refrigerator. <laughs> we're going to have the weirdest <laughs> set of sponsors. No, but we're going to close this segment with, I don't care what any of you guys say. If you are a true chef to be able to control the temperature with natural gas, way more precise than electric. You'll never convince me that I can get the temperature right on electric. Let me throw one other thing that I want to touch on. A little bit of an obscure article. The girlfriend brought, uh, brought it up uh, the I other day. I just wanted to mention that he has a girlfriend. <laughs> Good she plug. Lived, I met her at camp. She lives across the country. We talk all the time. I have She's listening. All right, uh, no. Uh, the Taliban-led administration of Afghanistan signed a 25-year oil and gas exploration deal with Xinjiang, Central Asia Petroleum and Gas Company, a Chinese company. There were some numbers bandied about in the article. You know, they're going to spend $150 million this year. They believe there's a resource worth a trillion dollars of oil and gas in <laughs> Afghanistan. The Taliban gets 20% of the deal, goes to goes to 75. We spent a trillion dollars, two trillion dollars there fighting a war. And now who's out exploring for oil there? Mark, what else is in, in Afghanistan? Well, there was an article about a year ago in Bloomberg. He said that? No, he knows what's in Afghanistan. Oh, I lived you. next door for a couple of years, but okay. that's <laughs> that's another story. Um, lithium, about a trillion to a trillion and a half dollars worth of of lithium deposits in, in Afghanistan. And it, it's the Chinese playbook like we've seen. And we talked about it a little bit last week with the Congo. Mm-hmm. 15 of the 19 mining concerns in Congo are controlled by the Chinese. Um, most of the cobalt processing is China-based, rare earths, obviously. And now, you know, going after 87 million barrels, which I believe is the target number they cited mm -hmm. in this article with an initial investment of 150 million for oil and gas exploration is literally a drop in the bucket. I think there's a, I think there's a larger kind of this is minerals dominance here Some and when you there. when you when you contrast that with an article that was updated an update article today there's a couple in maine who have discovered a lithium deposit which is estimated to be worth 
a billion and a half. I was just about to bring that up, but it's and part of the, the hurdles that we, you know, the impediments that we're talking about earlier with natural gas. Maine is one of the most restrictive uh, states in in the U.S. with regard to open pit mining. You can't have an open pit for metals mm. of more than three acres. Yeah, I think Doomberg uh, put me on to that one. He wrote a Twitter thread all about it, and so that's nimbyism here. Like, we just can't mine. Right. in the United States. So, so it goes we, back to, you know, it goes back to the real intensive kind of manufacturing. They wrote another one on, on uh, the polysilicon chain and who does the assembly versus who does the manufacturing is, it all starts up the farthest upstream at, at the raw materials. I'm going to, I'm going to update the, the Chuck Yates axiom has always been when we buy energy from authoritarian dictators, bad shit happens. I'm going to start saying the same thing about mining minerals. Update on cobalt. Uh, Siddharth put out mm -hmm. yesterday, there, there's been a kind of whataboutism response to uh, the, the prevalence and the growth of cobalt and what's going on in, in the Congo uh, with child labor and, and just really, really unsafe practices. Um, what about the cobalt that's used in petroleum refinery, refining? It's 4% whereas cobalt for batteries is 60. Refining uses 4% or is a 4% consumer of cobalt, and that's declining because it is recyclable. We need a refining that, expert because my mind, if, if it recalls correctly, is cobalt is, is not dwindled down in refining. It's actually used for a long time and, and can be recycled. Yeah, but, but that, that's but still 4%. It's not much. Spectrum. Yeah, maybe 90s can give us a heads up. On but that. the cobalt use for batteries is 66% and yeah. growing. So, you know, when when we think about kind of this big battery push, the the coincidence of an oil and gas deal between the Chinese and the Af and the Afghans, the Taliban makes makes sense just given what yeah. Afghanistan is sitting on in terms of lithium yeah. potential. Kind of like what we we said earlier about you know burning fuel oil up in Massachusetts when we could build a pipeline. Right. You know, when we talk energy advocacy, I'm not a big fan of ranting at the other side because I think you need to educate and I think you need to educate in sort of ways so that you bring people to your team as opposed to scaring them. I just think that's horrific. Yeah, you don't make friends by being an asshole. Exactly. And so I just <laughs> they call that wearing the white the white hat, but you're wearing the pink hat. I'm so pink I mean hat. that means something. Yeah, yeah. We could drill down on that for hours. Um, but the 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 whole thing I would want to just say to the audience out there listening is, hey, guys, to use these phones, to use this computer, there's some bad shit that happens in the world for us to have these metals. And let's make sure if we're not going to mine them in Maine, that we're educated about the bad shit that happens to these people and we're OK with it. You know, no one cares. I mean, it's been known that, you know, companies like Nike and Apple have sweatshops over in China for decades and no one cares. Um, that's the that's the bad part about it. But um, I wanted to bring up I've been waiting to bring up this story because this one's really interesting. I didn't put it on the sheet, so uh -oh. lay it on. I have no preparation for it. But this article came out from MIT um, about this startup called Make Sunsets. And Make Sunsets is a geoengineering startup that launches weather balloons that release sulfur particles in the stratosphere, potentially crossing a controver controversial barrier in the field of solar geoengineering. And so what they're doing is uh, mimicking a natural process that occurs in the aftermath of large volcano eruptions mm -hmm. and trying to stop global warming. 
And so, yeah, these big weathered balloons that are going up and releasing things into the stratosphere that have unknown consequences. Here's the most concerning part. The startups only raised (laughs) (laughs) $750,000. They don't have a ton of money and scientists behind them, I imagine. Um, What's y'all's opinion on startups like this? And this is actually kind of, uh, I, I was thinking about this internally because, you know, there's a big part of me that's like libertarian. Like, I fucking hate governments. But then also, I understand that a lot of science and technology and research comes from government mandates. And I don't feel like, and I always believe that private companies, startups, figure out some of the world's toughest challenges. But I also don't think that some early stage startups should have the ability to fuck with the atmosphere and potentially harm people that have nothing to do with it what's y'all's what's y'all's moral take on this i I think it's fundamental to that and scott tinker famously said one time talking about kind of counting the pieces and parts of who are the bad actors and who are the Mm -hmm. good players and emissions and he always stopped the conversation and said one atmosphere so we don't have sovereignty over the atmosphere is, is kind of the first point. Mm-hmm. And I've read a little bit about geoengineering mm-hmm. related to, you know, atmospheric or outer space, nuclear detonations, yeah. detonations. And I don't know what this particular technology is about, but my understanding of it is you create these little mirrors of particles that then are a barrier that reflect heat before yeah. it gets to, exactly. before yeah. it gets to the earth's yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. The, um, I'm, I'm looking for it in here. I can't find it right now, but the um, first time I read this, I saw a quote from the founder that something, this wasn't verbatim, but something along the lines that um, his biggest mission before he dies is to see how cool he can make the planet. And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> cool as cold, in cold, cold is bad. Yeah. Colder <laughs> or cool as in this is cool. No, it's not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here, Colin, I think you said something that's great. When I went to work for the Dutch, I learned something. They're incredible merchants. I'm a libertarian too, entrepreneur. I don't want government to stay out. However, government is involved in, in especially oil and gas in a regulated industry. I think we need to think like merchants. Let's partner with governments if we have to, because the best entrepreneurs and businesses do that. Look at what the Chinese are doing with Afghanistan. It's almost frustrating as an entrepreneur which entrepreneur is also code name for salesman. Isn't it suck to see someone else win the big kitty? Mm-hmm. Now we can all complain about like human rights and this and that, but the reality is everyone over here wants lithium because we're all driving electric cars. We have, you know, iPads and iPhones and blah, blah, blah. So we, I think we need to think like merchants. The danger with this company, I love MIT. Everything that they come up with is, is almost brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a danger because we don't know what the impact's really going to be. And I learned as a kid, and it's probably not even real, is when volcanics erupt, it blocks the sun and bad shit happens, right? The dinosaurs died. Didn't we go into the ice age over um, the same technology? <laughs> Question. I'm sure someone in our audience knows the answer. So, so there I'm a, saying it. There was a debate around ozone depletion 20, 30 years ago. There was an event in the Philippines with Mount Pinatubo, I think, is the volcano that had a its main eruption, if the scientific community was correct in its order of magnitude calculations, its main eruption released 
450 times the amount naturally of ozone depleting right. chemicals than the cumulative to that point from anthropogenic sources since the start of the industrial revolution. That's how big nature is. Yeah. Well, right. but more than the Freon, remember, but Colin, this, you don't remember thing, this, no, this is, no, this is what I'm about to talk about, though, because everyone talks about, oh, the hole in the ozone layer, you know, that was a big thing, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it was. And I always see uh, my buddy Tim over at Fargo Energy posting links to the studies on this. But apparently that it's closed. Hole, it closed because of world governments, governments around the world uh, mm -hmm. banning CFCs that we use and Freon and different things like that so and that's probably um, true and we did the same thing with acid rain and that is true when yeah. we we had a bad problem in the northeast we created a whole system to to limit and acid rain is so now i'm not, not against problem. geoengineering because i think that human like i think that we're capable of doing some really cool shit along mm -hmm. those lines and i also very optimistic about our chances of um inhabiting other planets and we're gonna have to do things like that to make them habitable but it's about who's doing it and a startup that's got well, pre-seed funding of 750k um it's like i don't know can i do that can i take <laughs> our funding at digital wildcatters and start launching weather balloons and dumping shit i mean what's uh, uh i don't know i think that there has to be some government a, partnerships it's a it's a good question and where does that happen does it happen at the un or or whatever to to think mm -hmm. it through i've made myself promise this year that i'm actually going to deep dive the science and and have Let's a take on global warming what we know what we don't know and all and i hate to be biased on where it goes but i think where i'm going to wind up coming out and this may get me banned but i think we're going to figure out we're a gnat on the environment's ass so let the $750,000 startup go shoot their shit up in the air. It's not going to matter. Yeah. I mean, well said. Well, look, you said you're biased here, but I was <laughs> just thinking, I was just thinking about this. Uh, Cause it's funny. You've had an electric vehicle. You have an electric vehicle. Do you have an electric vehicle? I have the opposite of an electric okay, vehicle. Okay. You have the opposite of an electric You're that vehicle. guy in the taqueria, that old I'm truck. A, I'm <laughs> in a 20, 2013 Raptor, Raptor with a 6.2. There you go. Yeah, so eight rounds in the back. I think it's funny because we talk about EVs and climate change and climate tech, and I think that we're actually pretty pragmatic in the way that we talk and think about these things, and that shows in some of the actions that uh, that we take. But I agree with you. I've always looked at like human species as we're kind of like fleas <laughs> on, on well, the planet, right? But that's also what makes me excited about like the future. Um, you know, someone was like clowning on us because we had a future of like space exploration at Fuse. And it's like that is completely related to energy for going. Absolutely. To, I mean, we have a finite amount of time on this planet, most likely. And we have to move into other habitats and you have to have a shit ton of energy to do that. Right. And so after digital wildcatters, my next endeavor is space mining. That's like what I'm super yeah. passionate about. So I'm going to be the startup with $750,000. that's trying to blow up asteroids and shit. So, I mean, NASA's contracted with Schlumberger to figure out how to mine. I mean, this has yeah. been going on for a while because yeah. it's a real, it's a real category. Yeah. Let's go. So I love it. Are we finger of the week? Are we there are yet? We there yet? Yeah. I was going to get finger of the week to that startup. Okay. Well, I, I just want to flash back to one thing. Do y'all yeah. remember Freon air conditioners in your car? Yeah. 
had to damn. Power it in. Yeah. Remember? I mean, now it's like I can't get cold to save my life, but those Freon things, like 20 seconds, you, you could be ice cube. It was yeah. fantastic technology. Yeah. yeah. I remember they were like the cans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Had the, yeah. Had the, had the hose on it. Yeah. 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 You could those. recharge, yeah. you could recharge your, you could do a lot of stuff with that Freon. <laughs> Well, I know, the reason I know is because my first vehicle like was a 2000 F-250 and I always had a recharge, like, I mean, every, like, two days because all the Freon was leaked out of it. So do they not use Freon anymore? Maybe for next week, I want to ask the question about if you're a city dweller, why are you driving a 250? Can we go there at some point? I want to take a picture of his bumper sticker on the back that says, damn the environment, full speed ahead. But, <laughs> I mean, I lived in Midland, Texas, so. Use my truck up. You weren't driving right. a Prius around Midland? No, I wasn't. So, uh, kind of frowned upon. <laughs> I've been trying to get Mr. Skilling to come on the podcast forever, and we were DMing. And DMs are supposed to say quiet. I don't think if you'd mind if I said this. He said, if you would put a I love Beto sticker on the back of your Prius and drive to Midland, Texas, I might come on your podcast. <laughs> we'll I say that. we should do it and film a Chuck needs a job yeah. uh, Ch- episode. Chuck Yates That's needs time. a road That's trip. Time content right there. All right, everybody, the finger of the week. All right, this was this was a collaboration between me and Mark and all Colin didn't know about this. You were not allowed to tailgate at the national championship game. Two college football teams, Georgia and TCU, no tailgating. SoFi Stadium said, no way, you're not catching Why? fire in my parking lot. Well, there's limited parking around there. Have you been to Inglewood <laughs> or flown over it? Yeah, I haven't been to the, yeah, sta- they're, they're, I haven't been to the stadium. But... You have. I, I, I went and – that's where I saw Motley Crue when we talked about that. You, you basically – get dropped off at the Great Western Forum, which is where the Lakers used to play, kind of the <laughs> Showtime Lakers. Yep. And you got to walk a mile and a half to get to the stadium. Do you really? And there's just not a lot of parking around there. That's but, not but an excuse. I, I can tell you from personal experience, I've been to one national championship. No, it wasn't Texas A&M because they haven't been there since 1939. Talking with Longhorns <clears> USC? I have two Clemson grads, so went to the one in Tampa, and the tailgating was the best part of the experience. And we started at 1030 in the morning. And it's just, it, it's such a next level thing to make it to that. And it's so integral to the experience. Yeah. I mean, it, you go to if an you LSU get, you know, if you get, game. if you have a, if you have a, have a bad game experience, the longer you tailgate, the, you know, the, the more you're going to be able to deal with that. You've, so you've numbed the pain. You've numbed the pain I had TCU buddies in stadium. I'm like, what are you doing there an hour and a half before? Cause there was no tailgate. And I think that's part of the reason why well, TCU didn't play play better is their <laughs> fans weren't, weren't liquored up well the weather out. in la was pretty crappy yesterday and they had they saw some stories about you know that stadium the concourses are indoor outdoor or the yeah. whole stadium is indoor outdoor i don't, don't so, know so but there were, there were what, people getting hauled out on stretchers because the floors I mean, were slippery I'm looking and at, I'm they were falling and hurting themselves the satellite view right now of sofi stadium and it seems to be a lot of did they throw did mit throw that stuff above the stadium and that caused the <laughs> oh, bad weather they did. that's what they did i'm actually pretty sure that that does happen out <clears throat> they're doing it in california so there you go here's the deal with this stadium i mean five billion dollars it's the most beautiful stadium it's on the pretty. planet it basically has 
hundreds upon thousands of window frames, like a netting over the stadium, and they can open them all. They can slightly shade them. It's kind of crazy, and they're different frames, so it's beautiful. Oh, wow. They talked about the customer experience there, that it was going to be beyond level. It's not. You wait longer in the line for bathroom. The food options are good, but not great. I saw their lowest beer price was $17. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's typical. And they're working LA. the oil patch, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's typical Los Angeles. So, so far, I saw, I saw one week. shot in having spent some time in LA early in my career. And I know they did the redid the fabulous forum for music only, but the, the panorama that showed the forum next to SoFi just, it just, oh, it's stunning. It's beautiful. tiny compared to that massive stadium. Yeah. I, I saw Guns and Roses at the Great Western Forum. It was pretty. Uh, we'll be pretty here cool. all day if we listen yeah. to Chuck talk about. Do we need to do it? We do need to do a separate podcast on music. Let's yeah, do yeah, it. Let's do, do it. that. All right, hey, uh, Colin. One uh, quick thing that I want to tell the audience tomorrow morning, dropping the the first real episode of Chuck Yates needs a job this year. My guest is Greg Kane. Greg if you'll Kane. remember Greg from Budagate, he Buddha comes Gate. on. Awesome. He doubled doubles down on Budagate. He is not even though EOG has let should. all their leases go. He's like, <laughs> uh-uh. He doubles down on that. Actually, some really good scoop on the deep Bozier play that's going on. Supposedly, you cannot get into the courthouse in Leon County because it's starting to blow up. And then he just tells a horrifying story about people trying to shut him up. And yeah. I mean, uh, look, anyway, EOG, so look for that tomorrow. EOG letting their leases expire is just a head fake. Yeah. So, hey, when's exactly. it dropping? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna put an alarm. I'm, I'm ready. There you to go. go. Hey, Chuck Yates needs a job. Drops uh, between uh, seven and eight on Wednesday mornings. So, give you guys some context before we head out with the Greg Kane uh, podcast when we released Buddha Gate. I mean, it was widespread. I saw comments over on Reddit like, "Hey, have y'all heard about this Buddha play that EOG has?" And so, uh, Greg's pretty convincing with the story. So, looking forward to hearing that. We are ramping up. It's getting back to event season at Digital Wildcatters. We got Energy Tech Night coming up in Houston in January. Empower uh, is March 8th and 9th. We are doing an energy tech night in Denver in April and also got one in Oklahoma City after that. So go to digitalwildcatters.com slash events and check all of those out. Um, we're really excited about what we are going to be doing with those this year. So guys, it's good, uh good session. Appreciate y'all uh, being here. And I feel like I'm the guest. Y'all have been carrying the show the last. Uh, I think you are the, the guest now. Yeah, I am the As guest. As my, now. my yes. wife says. <laughs> Hold on. Quick moment. Do we vote to let him stay, guys? Yeah. yeah we'll my wife says, Are you are you a regular up. on there? I'm like, I just made my a squad. Yeah, I'm a no, squatter. Yeah, no, you're part of the gang now. So we'll catch y'all next week, 10 30 a.m. Central Time Tuesday. Peace.